This is the Gospel Revolution. Since you're knocking on the door, you're begging to come in, yeah. On a weather of the wild, love's been knocking from within. You are the love you see. A perfect yet unique Here's the founder and president of the Gospel Revolution, Michael Lilborn Williams. Thank you for that welcome, Daniel Thomas Rouse. Well, you know, it'd be a bad day if the president of the Gospel Revolution wasn't welcome on the Gospel <laughs> Revolution podcast. <laughs> I don't know, some might say that would be a good day. <laughs> <laughs> The only thing this revolution needs is get rid of him. <laughs> uh, in fact, we kind of got a letter that would might support that <laughs> that uh, position. I, it's real fun because uh, it's funny. It's fun. We love getting letters. We love getting different views. Uh, but I have to say this one is a view that you uh, I can't say I've never heard it. Once we read through this letter, I think that you'll see, and it was posted on Facebook in response, and it'll make you wonder why in the world that uh, this person is on any type of Facebook pages about uh, anything about the Bible at all. It's different. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say I enjoyed the letter, and uh, maybe we could start out by reading that. You want to do that? Sure. Uh, and this is it was a, a response to something, wasn't it? Yep, it was a response by Mickey Burnett, and they write: "The gospel is nothing more than a story, and nothing less than the power of God." Oh, Actually, so they were re- they're they're quoting our post. Yep. Oh, okay. correct. Gotcha. Yeah. Actually, the truly good news is that it was just a story and one that never had a damn thing to do with anyone living today. That's their words. Mm-hmm. Paul's epistles were personal letters to those written to specific people groups who were actually living when he wrote them and were about issues, circumstances, and events that those people were facing at that time. In the last days and end times of the old covenant world in which they were living. And for the record, despite Paul's boastful claims, he never met, encountered, spoke with, or heard Jesus preach, and Jesus did not send him. Paul's teachings were completely contrary to the teachings of Jesus. He preached a lot of BS that Jesus never remotely suggested, and he him and he exalted himself his message, and his authority above that of Jesus on multiple occasions, and was behind the attempted murder of James, the brother of Jesus, when James was thrown off the rooftop and was crippled after Paul's alleged conversion, which is why many of the disciples and others who actually knew and walked with Jesus considered Paul the Antichrist and is why I am inclined to agree with them. Woo, that'd make your head spin. Uh, uh, first off, 
uh, I have to say, uh, uh, number one, I, I always appreciate anyone who's able to see through uh, the uh, paradigm that Paul's teachings did not agree with the disciples. I'm kind of wondering why, uh, is it Nikki or Mickey? Mickey. Mickey. Uh, I'm wondering why Mickey is even on anybody's Facebook page, because if nothing that was said has anything to do with anybody living today, but there, uh, there's assertion after assertion after assertion after assertion after assertion after assertion with absolutely no uh, nothing to back it up at all. So I think it would be it'd be nice if we could get just one of those assertions. Uh, number one, that uh, we could work backward from this, that Paul was there when James was thrown from the temple. I've never even heard of such a thing. Uh, and that uh, James uh, wound up with a broke leg. I, th- I thought he was killed. The research that I know Don Bartlett did into that was pretty thorough. It, it's amazing. It's like she was there. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, when we go through these things, we present the possibilities and that according to, you know, what was written, this uh, actually is, um, would be saying this and uh, questioning the, the validity of some of these things. But this, I mean, she was like an eyewitness to, <laughs> to these <laughs> accounts. I do remember uh, uh, probably a decade ago or more finding this group that uh, she is uh, obviously somehow a part of their thought, whether she's a part of their group or not, but that they say that Paul was the bastard apostle is what they call him. And I remember reading it and I thought, Yes, yes, finally, somebody gets it that the writings of the New Testament are not all in agreement. So mm. obviously, uh, Nikki agrees with us. Mickey agrees with us on one point that the New Testament is not scripture. Yeah. Uh, have, I would have to. So uh, that we concur with you, uh, Mickey, on is that the New Testament is not scripture. The scriptures are, the, as Jesus said, uh, the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. Jesus, uh, Jesus himself agreed with you on that. But to the chagrin of the entire Christian community, they really don't acknowledge that the law, the Psalms, and the prophets were the scriptures, even though Jesus said so. Now, uh, I realize that not everybody researches from the Bible. Obviously, she is not researching from the Bible. Um, that, uh, and you know, there's always, no matter what subject comes up, there's a conspiracy about it. Mm. And uh, if uh, she uh, believes that Paul was a part of a plot to assassinate uh, James by throwing him from the temple, that's, that's a conspiracy. It's, it, uh, and totally extra biblical. There is no account of anything of that whatsoever. And that's fine. We're not saying that you can't have that opinion. I mean, anybody can have any opinion that they want. Uh, but it, there is an account in the Bible uh, where that 
James did uh, bring Paul into the temple, had him to do uh, a ceremony, a sacrificial ceremony of uh, cleansing. And um, uh, knowing that the Jews from Asia were there and knowing that they already despised Paul. So, um, Mickey, if you think you're the first one that despised Paul, <laughs> get in line. I mean, uh, uh, people have despised Paul. Uh, James at the top of the list uh, despised Paul. And um, Paul uh, was on the receiving end of this uh, despite as far as the Bible is concerned. Uh, and like I said, if you want a conspiracy theory, believe me, they're out there by the thousands on every subject. But uh, of all of the things that she said, that there was not one single attempt to say to make any of those claims about Paul. Was there any reference at all? Uh, it's interesting that she, you know, there's a great deal of truth in the fact that uh, Paul wrote to what the people of the day, because we did not go through this transformation. But to say it is non applicable to us, if uh, a whole new world came uh, at the cross as Paul, and now this makes Mickey's head come off at the top that Apollos, who the writer of the book of Hebrews, um, uh, made it very clear that at the cross, everything changed. And there was a transformation of God and man becoming one. And uh, so in that aspect, it didn't happen to us. It happened to them. But after it happened to them, we were all then, uh, uh, as we're born into this earth, we're born into this righteousness. It didn't happen to us, but it did happen for us. And we now live in that incredible life of unity uh, with, uh, with God. Uh, so anybody that stirs up questions about the validity of the New Testament, I'm on your side because <laughs> um, the, uh, the New Testament uh, has so many disagreements with uh, between the writers, it's not even funny. Now, I also agree that Paul uh, taught things that Jesus did not teach, but Paul was teaching the completed work of the cross. Jesus taught uh, things that had, uh, uh, he taught in parables about the way things were going to be after the cross, but Jesus so uh, Mickey, if you're going to be living by the teachings of Jesus, boy, I would like to see that take place. There's so many people say, you know, I, I live by the teachings of Christ. No, you don't. <laughs> uh, you just don't do that. This letter proves she doesn't do that because, you know, you just wouldn't be talking in these terms whatsoever. Jesus uh, uh, was very strict about forgiveness and uh, if you don't forgive somebody, God is not going to forgive you. I'm not going to forgive you. We're going to go through some verses today. Uh, and there, it's all Jesus. We're, believe mm -hmm. me, we're going to go through some things today. Mickey, we hope you listen to the show because we're going to be quoting nothing of Paul that I know of. We're going to be quoting uh, about Jesus and the angels. And uh, I think you'll find it interesting. What did you think about this? Uh, letter we got. 
Yeah, I agree with you that, you know, the place where I rejoice in it is that it's bringing attention to the fact that the New Testament writers did not agree. So important. That there was a division between Paul and James, uh, and Paul, Peter, James, and John, Mm -hmm. that that whole group, that they they did preach a different gospel. They did. And uh, what happens is you're left to decide if, if you want to, to decide, you know, well, who's right and who's wrong. Mm -hmm. And why we side with Paul and Apollos is because we find that they agree the most with the Hebrew scriptures. With the Hebrew scriptures, right. And what we have found as well is that in some of the writings between uh, mostly Paul's writings um, is that there are these pseudographical writings that they, they don't match up with Paul's writings, and so there's some manipulation there. So, yeah, there are some things that are in Paul's letters that we don't agree with, of mm-hmm. course, because, because they don't agree with the Hebrew Scriptures. And really, in context, they don't agree with Paul's writings don't, either. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's like this wonderful declaration of truth, but then it's like, and, you know, uh, you get through three or four chapters or in uh, uh, Romans, I think it's, uh, what, 11 chapters, and then you yeah. go through all the way up to 16, and it is uh, Paul makes sure in uh, Romans that, you know, it has nothing to do with you, nothing to do with you. It's not even your faith. Yeah. And that's what the whole uh, letter to the Romans was. But to say that uh, Paul's letters were written to specific people about a specific time, uh, it's, it's like saying that a medical discovery took place for a specific people at a specific time and has nothing to do with us. Well, that's, uh, you know, on its face, just quite ridiculous to make such an assertion. Uh, it affected the people. It changed everything for the people at that time. Uh, but you see the, the, the change that took place at the time affect the whole world. I don't care what subject it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, You cannot say that any event that was even specifically written to a specific group of people for a specific time, if it was a new thought and a new way of doing things, that it just died there. This does not uh, amaze me that people just make statements and they think because they say it, that validates mm. that it's true. What we do here is we make pretty audacious statements also, but we do uh, read through where that would be affirmed. Now, if you don't accept the Bible as uh, uh, any reference point at all, so like if you've decided you don't believe Paul, there's a lot of things that Peter, James, and John wrote that are really do agree with the scriptures. Yeah. And we can look at those. There's things that, uh, like we said, that uh, are uh, part of Paul's letters that do not uh, uh, agree with the rest. So we either conclude that Paul is a schizophrenic or somebody added uh, things to his letters. Now, we were not the one that came up with the term the pseudographical writings. This has been researched by scholars for many, many years, and they've looked into the Latin uh, or into the Greek and uh, been able to see that the style 
of the writing, the the words used in the writing. Suddenly, there are Greek words and terms used later on that's not even used in those texts. So um, I enjoyed this letter, and uh, we'd like to get some more. Yeah, so thank you very much for contributing. And, uh, you know, I remember observing this as I was on my way out of the Word of Faith movement is I saw this division. Um, I would attend these ministers' conferences for the International Convention of Faith Ministers. Um, and I would hear the different preachers, and you could kind of tell who they kind of leaned toward uh, because there were some who taught a lot of James and a lot of Peter. And there were some who taught a lot of Paul. Yeah. <laughs> and it was very distinguishable, especially for me, as I was becoming more aware of understanding grace and understanding that these writers were writing different things. And uh, um, so it's interesting that this is even still, you know, to a degree, um, I think it's recognized in the Christian church, but um, they just don't have... Um, the honesty to stand back and say, yeah, these, these two disagree. (laughs) Then they go and twist the other person to say something that they're not saying. So very interesting. Yeah. And, uh, the one thing that, uh, if, uh, people listen to us at all, instead of just responding to a post, which is quite all right, if that's what you want to do. Uh, but we bring ourselves into question. Yeah. Uh, uh, as often, uh, maybe not more often, but as often as we bring others into question, because as we're reading something, we'll say, wait a minute, is that if this says that, that means what we said last week or a year ago or 10 years ago is being brought into question. So the issue is, let's go through it and see which one is right, because, uh, you know, it, it's wonderful to know that your righteousness is in Christ, not in the correctness of your doctrine. Mm. Once righteousness is settled to be in Christ, uh, then the correctness of your doctrine becomes something that is always up for question. I Every day that I wake up, my doctrine is completely subject to change. It's subject to examination, criticism. Uh, as I'm, I'm so not, I, I hope that people can hear that I'm certainly not offended by uh, Mickey's uh, letter. She sounds pretty perturbed at the post, but I don't know. Um, <laughs> we please let me assure you that we are not perturbed. Um, Mickey is holy and righteous and perfect, without spot, without blemish. Uh, we know that from Paul's writings. So, uh, well, maybe <laughs> maybe that wouldn't be an assurance to me but uh, but according to the writings that Paul gave he uh, Paul's teaching was about a division between a world that changed from before the cross to after the cross so to say that that was only to people of his time i that's just so un, it's uninformed it's just uninformed about what he taught because if by one man's sin all were made sinners, and by one man's righteousness all were made righteous, that would be like writing to people uh, two thousand years after Adam and saying Adam had no effect; that uh, everything that was said to Adam had to do with Adam and only Adam, and uh, that it had no effect. But according to 
the scriptures, the law, the Psalms and the prophets and Paul's teachings. And also to Peter, James and John agreed on this point that uh, sin came into the world through Adam uh, and then affected every generation uh, in that uh, in that sin being imputed all the way up to the cross. And everything changed at the cross for everybody that came after the cross. That's good news. That's good news. Yeah, uh, according to the letter, it's just news. <laughs> There's no good in it at all. It's true with this statement, and it's true with what we are still pursuing, the pursuit of eternal life and looking at heaven and angels and all these things, is one of the greatest freedoms, Michael, that I have come to enjoy in understanding the gospel is I don't have to be right. And uh, it's prevented me from arguing. It's prevented me from stressing out. It's uh, and it's really freed me from what you just mentioned about self-righteousness, yeah. about I, I have to be right so that I understand that I'm righteous, uh, rather than the opposite, is I understand I'm righteous even when I'm wrong. And uh, boy, what a freedom and what an eye-opening experience, because now you can go in and you can ask the questions, uh, you can be wrong, you can examine, you can hold a thought yeah. until you're able to understand if it's right or wrong and you're able to take that thought and throw it away or accept it as truth you know based on what you learn in the scriptures hey we're ready to throw paul in the toilet with you mickey we uh, will throw him in the toilet with you we don't have any problem with that the problem is you've made a bunch of statements that have nothing to back them up at all uh now we respect the fact that that is that is your opinion with nothing to back it up at all um, these are incredible uh, assertions, um, but uh, we can't throw away Paul with you until you give us some validity for that, because some of the things, all of the things you said uh, have no uh, place, uh, at least in the, the New Testament, to back it up. We do understand that uh, the battle there's a one it's a real battle but the uh two people who stepped into the scene that were not there at all on both sides of the, of this issue is paul and also uh james mm. james was a part of nothing james was called by nobody uh jesus never said get ready my brother's going to take over <laughs> uh, uh he uh we do know that james uh, history tells us uh these are these are history facts that that james never left the temple uh the uh the seat of power uh he did not want to lose that it seems and um uh, the only way that they could get to him was to go in. He wasn't going out the door, so he went out the top. Mm. Uh, and it's it's a terrible thing that he was executed in that way. I don't think he got a broken bone. I I, I think history reports that he was executed this way. And um, but Paul also does show up on the scene. Uh, but Paul has a lot of interaction with the uh, disciples. They have debates. Uh, we know in Acts uh, 15 and also Acts, is it 20 or 21? One of the two. 
that they bring Paul in about uh, it's uh, not just you, Mickey, that questions Paul's teachings. Peter, James, and John questioned Paul's teachings, but they really felt that the law was still in effect, settled on preaching a few laws. Well, if the law is still in effect, why in the world would you go into a meeting with somebody who's teaching that the law, including circumcision, has been done away with, and then come up with an agreement amongst yourselves? They never let Paul speak at all. That's not what you call an agreement. This was imposed on Paul. And why would you just pick out, what was it, four laws that they had to keep? Uh, and all of them simply Jewish traditions. Well, I don't believe in the uh, scriptures. Well, then the disciples were actually referring to nothing but the scriptures uh, in Jewish tradition, uh, not eating things strangled and and uh, uh, strictly the ceremonial code. Not only one of them was don't go around, you know, screwing everybody. So Paul left that meeting. So if the if James was right, why would James capitulate on uh, nine hundred uh, how many is it nine hundred something other laws that are? Yeah, I don't recall. Yeah, a whole bunches. <laughs> Don always had those numbers ready for us all the time. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not Don. I know. I just <laughs> what I was trying to say. It's like. You know, <laughs> And and honestly, you know, we're we're uh, this is not an attempt to change your mind, but it would be. Uh, but when you present a statements like this, we would suggest that you give some. You'd be better off uh, giving one opposition to Paul and giving some credence to your statement. So far, you've just written a grievance about Paul. Six hundred and thirteen. There you go, six hundred thirteen. Thank you. Did Don? Did Don's whisper in your ear on that one? No, Google did. Oh, Don Googled it. Okay. <laughs> but uh, Nikki, let us assure you uh, that we we do care. We care about you. We care about your well being. Uh, you don't have to agree with us for us to uh, to care. If there's ever any way that we might be able to be a help to your precious life, because uh, all life is precious. Uh, be sure and let us know. Uh, and I'm really not, uh, I, don't have, I, I don't feel uh, the slightest thing inside of me of being facetious about that. We, we do care about people. Some are harder to care about than others. But <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael, this... Uh... This whole thing that we have been on lately about the pursuit of eternal life and understanding who or what, who is going to heaven and what is heaven. And now we're looking at the angels, um, you know, and we've been teasing along this whole way that this is building up to our conference, um, our spring, well, I think it's winter conference uh, that we hold in March. And, uh, so with that, I wanted to throw out there to everybody that we have dates set for March. Oh, wonderful. What did you decide? (laughs) (laughs) News to Michael. (laughs) Uh, Vic and I had some discussion about it and, um, and I will say that it's partly my fault that it's going to be a couple weeks later. Partly. Uh, 
Yeah, well, it's all my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take responsibility. Uh, but we are going to do the conference March 24th, 25th, and 26th. Um, I know everyone was hoping that it would be the first weekend of March, but Daniel went ahead and had other plans and screwed the whole thing up. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, such false humility. Too. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is, uh, and, and now I'm going to come to Daniel's defense. These are things that uh, everything would have worked out based on Daniel's plans, but things did change drastically uh, in. Uh, Daniel's life, as you guys were informed, that he did have to take a uh, 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 get a haircut and get a real <laughs> job. And uh, believe me, he's got the haircut, that's for sure. <laughs> and uh, so uh, we uh, we appreciate, we just came out of Pledge Drive. Thank you guys for uh, helping us out. I am still looking for the time when Daniel will be able to come on full time. Oh, there's, oh my goodness, you would not believe how many times that I'm, uh, these, uh, I've either thoughts or I'm doing some research and I need Daniel and Daniel is nowhere to be found. I don't know why he can't talk to me when he's got a bus full of 55 people and he's driving. I just don't <laughs> understand that. Why can't you talk to me while you're driving the damn bus? But he can't, even though, uh, this delay in the start of the conference, it wasn't because Daniel was not thinking about the this. It's that things changed unexpectedly, and he had to get a good job, paying a little bit more money than I, I don't know. It's only ten dollars more a week. I don't know why you took a job. <laughs> get a job. So, yeah, mark your calendars, March 24th, 25th, 26th, and our intention is that we are going to cover the revelation uh, from cover to cover, and uh, it's going to be great. Yeah, I. it's getting more and more exciting. Uh, the, one of the reasons that we are covering this is we're wanting to have all of our terminology that is... Uh, uh, in used in the revelation, we want to know what it means and what it does not mean. Our reason for going through, and I also would say this to Mickey, uh, and if you want to uh, listen to us teach and never uh, mention Paul, I boy, if we mentioned Paul, Peter, James, or John at all in the last about uh, four sessions, at least three. Yeah. It's all been Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it's all been uh, Jesus uh, and what he's said, uh, in specifically in reference to the involvement of angels in the life of Jesus Christ. Yeah, aside from the sidebar that we went into, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We about did, the yes. Celestial and terrestrial, but other than that, yeah. yeah, it's been Matthew, Mark, Luke. Forgive us, you can, you can fast <laughs> forward through. First Corinthians chapter 15. So, <laughs> but that really does show why uh, Paul's teaching really was not just for the people at a certain time, uh, that something drastic happened, that a God who lived in heaven and all of uh, that, that was one body and human beings are one body, like birds are a body and, and gorillas are a body and, Cats and rats and elephants and chimpanzees 
uh, unicorns, you know, <laughs> they're all of a certain body. But for those two, for any two of those bodies to become one would be uh, miraculous. That is what Paul's teaching uh, there. Uh, and that's why we went into that was to see how much of, uh, of the heavenly does this include? Did just God and man become one? We know that there's a new heaven and a new earth. So we know that the, the, the places and the spaces became one place and space. So we are looking intently to see uh, what role that the angelic, did the angelic actually become, and all of these terms that we've come up with, alloy and superimposition, and but, well, we didn't come up with them. They actually are in the, in the, the text, and the words actually mean these things. Did God alloy not just himself and Christ and man together as one, and heaven and earth is now a heaven earth, but what about the angels? Did the angels mm-hmm. get uh, brought into this? Uh, this uh, is amalgamation the right word? I think it is. Don. <laughs> <laughs> and whatever Don said, that's right. All right. So uh, they all of these things were brought together in one, and uh, so uh, what we had to do then is try to see if. Uh, and in the recent search, we have been, uh, we didn't intend to delineate heaven from eternal life, but there's no place that heaven and eternal life are synonymous. They're just, it's not taught on. Now, on that delineation, we went all the way up through, what book were we in? Like we made it through Corinthians? and Yeah, I think we hit up to... Timothy, so all the way to Timothy, and there was yeah, Colossians. We made it through Colossians, I think. We made it through Colossians, and from Genesis through Colossians, there is no not one single verse that connects eternal life to the term uh, heaven. It's mm-hmm. just there, and there's heaven, and there's eternal life. And uh, so, as we've gone back through this, uh, we've. Uh, I, it just became a real question in my own mind is to what degree of involvement did the angels play in the life of Jesus? And we've been very shocked. I mean, it's uh, uh, especially with Luke. Um, the uh, uh, Daniel, run down through a little list that uh, you, where, where, what's the first place we see the angels involved in the uh, life of Christ? Number one, they did bring the message through the prophets a thousand years before about all of this. And uh, now uh, some of our friends try to say that that message came from the angels, not from God. And it's it's like, (laughs) so now you're trying to disqualify angels. Let's disqualify angels. Let's disqualify angels. Uh, Paul, Peter, James, John, George, and Ringo. Let's disqualify everybody and everything to make our doctrine right. And that is the doctrine of original design that just, it's no place in the Bible, folks. It Mm -hmm. just is not in the Bible. It is in mirror Bible, 
but that is a mirror of Francois, not a mirror of Christ. Yeah, the the book of Luke is where we are at today, and um, Luke is actually the most descriptive here because he is going to show angelic involvement all the way from the announcement of the birth of Christ all the way through the resurrection of Christ. And I think we're going to see that today, Michael, as we walk through, um, I don't know, we got maybe about 10 verses or so here in Luke um, that show... um, you know, the first one here is in chapter one when he makes this announcement to Mary. Yeah. Now, does this one, is this before uh, she conceived or was this uh, after her conception? How does it read it? The, the, surely the way it reads will tell us. Uh, what, had she conceived or was he telling her she was going to conceive? Yeah, this one tells her that she's going to. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, this is Luke uh, 1 and verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Mm -hmm. Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord will give and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Mm. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Wow, there's so much I want to comment about the revelation there. Did, yeah. did you see all that stuff in there? I saw it in there. I know you did. Oh, my goodness. We got to keep about stuff. Uh, draw a bright line around that one. That one's going to come in handy. Jeez. Uh, we, could, we could just flip right over to Revelation uh, uh, chapter 1 and start from there, couldn't we? Mm. Uh, but we're not. We're not. Hold me here. Keep my feet uh, here on earth at this moment instead of being caught up to the third heaven. So uh, we do have the angels involved. We know that from previous statements that the angels were given charge over Christ. Uh, uh, I mean, it's all here. What's the next place that we found? Well, before we move on, and we'll see this in the next place too, but it's interesting that the, who gave Jesus his name? Well, you know, of course, it's translated in English yes. as Jesus. But who gave the name to Mary? An yeah. angel. Isn't angel. that amazing? Yeah. I mean, uh, according to other writers, uh, we won't mention <coughs> Paul in any other place, but uh, according to other writers, this is the name that's above every name. Yeah. And who brought it? An angel. The angels brought it. That's a, that's a pretty important uh, job to not only... So... so my question is, how much did the angels know? It's mm. interesting here uh, that uh, uh, what I've gleaned from this so far in where we've gone is that the angels knew as much as Jesus did about the plan mm. from before the foundation of the world. The one thing that, and, and we can, I, I think that we can say that pretty confidently because Jesus said he nor the angels knew the day or the hour. Yeah. 
That means whatever else Jesus knew, the angels did know. Yeah. Because he told us the part that he nor the angels knew about. If there were other things the angels didn't know about, Jesus would have said, now there's a whole lot they don't know about, but they they also don't know the part I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seems as though that the angels were very aware of the process that was that had brought Christ up to this point of being conceived. And boy, were they excited, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They were excited. Something was about to happen that they had been privy to. Uh, uh, even Christ, who is now being born as Yeshua, that the, the Christ had been there with them in heaven before the foundation of the world. Mm. So uh, we are wanting to look to see uh, were were the angels just an uh, an extra uh, celestial uh, subject, or are they so much a part of the celestial subject that they have somehow become one with us also? Mm. So as the Christmas story continues, um, we have in chapter two, uh, verse eight. Now they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, that you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing Mm -hmm. that has come to pass, which the Lord God made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Uh, you know, according to that story, once the uh, angels said, you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, they didn't go around knocking on barn doors asking, you know, is he here? Is he here? Is he here? Mm. It's quite obvious they made haste to get directly to. Let me tell you one thing the angels didn't say. They didn't say he was in Jerusalem yeah, uh, uh, or Bethlehem. They didn't say he's in Bethlehem. They just said he's uh, he's at a place that uh, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And uh, but for some reason, that statement told uh, Mary and Joseph exactly where Jesus was, so that they didn't have to go around asking questions. They ran, they made haste, and went directly there. They knew where they were going the moment the angel spoke to them. Mm. Uh, we went into a great deal of detail in uh, Micah chapter seven, I believe, tells us all about Mikdar Ed- uh, Eder, and uh, so many places. This is where King David was born. Oh goodness! <laughs> uh, the uh, uh, this is the very same same place that uh, uh, King David was born in Bethlehem. And um, uh, 
uh, oh my goodness, my brain's racing ahead of me here, Daniel. Um, <laughs> so uh, we want to point out to you, though, that the information given about the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes was unique to where he was. Mm. The wrapping and swaddling clothes was something that they did with the newborn newborn lambs that were considered to be uh, spotless and would be candidates for being the sacrificial lambs. Wow. One thing, I, I forget this uh, many times when we're going through this story, but uh, the uh, history of McDar, uh, McDall Edder is that these uh, mangers, you know, and I always picture what's in the scenes, you know, when they set up around downtown someplace or churches, and they've got this wrinkledy little crate with some straw in it. But um, this, these mangers were hewn out of stone. Mm. And because uh, these had to be very secure, you're not going to place the sacrificial lamb. Uh, and they wrapped them because, uh, you know, I've, I've seen, you know, baby lambs try to walk at first, not in person, but I mean, they're, they're staggering all over the place. They could very easily break a bone or something. And that would have disqualified them from being the sacrificial lamb. So they wrapped them in swaddling clothes and placed them in something that wasn't going to move. This was hewn out of stone with, uh, with hay in it. Uh, or whatever they put in in the manger, that gave the disciples enough uh, information to look at each other and say, Bethlehem, yeah, let's go. To me, that's just so thrilling because Jesus' life starts out uh, in a place hewn out of stone and his life ends in a place hewn out of stone. Mm. And then in uh, verse 21, it says, and when the eight days were completed, for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Wow. Yeah, so that's a very, and, and, and again, of course, this translation says Jesus, but we know that that is not the name that he was given. It makes it very clear that, that he was named uh, for he was conceived. Yeshua. Yes, he was, con uh, he was named Yeshua. The angels were very much a part of that. So that's what we're wanting to track. There's so many things here that Daniel and I both are really, because of our research we've already done, uh, that really ties into uh, the revelation. But uh, we're taking notes as we go. This is all <laughs> uh, very valuable information that is going to help us get through the revelation, for sure. Uh, this to me, this is in, incredible. We are seeing so uh, not only seeing the fact that Jesus knew, according to his own statements, what the end result was going to be, but the angels also knew what the end result was going to be. And um, we have some other comments that are made about the crucifixion later on here in this. So. Daniel, where do we go next? Yeah, the next one is, and we have looked at this one, but you and I discovered something again as we were revisiting it yesterday. Uh, it's Luke chapter 4 and verse 10. Uh, this is when Jesus was uh, tempted by the devil. And we had pointed out in the previous times that we looked at this that um, it's interesting that the devil was there 
and the angels were there. Mm-hmm. That the there was uh, involvement from both sides, if you yeah. will. And um, so the devil is tempting Jesus, and he said, "Just go ahead and throw yourself off the pinnacle because it is written." Interesting. He quoted scripture to Jesus. Yes, he did. He shall give his angels charge over you and to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Mm. So we know that the angels knew that their job was to protect Jesus. Right. Uh, my mind runs fast forward to the point to where that they came and they arrested Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, man, uh, knowing that the angels knew what their job was, uh, they were being told to stand down. Uh, they had to be. Uh, and yeah. they had to, because they knew what the scriptures said must happen, that they could not do what their job was given, that even if he dashed his foot against the stone. Now, uh, and of course, our friends that we speak of, uh, of course, they say that God had nothing to do with the crucifixion. Well, then, uh, if God had nothing to do with it, uh, and the angels were given charge over him. Why didn't the angels protect him if it was just men doing it? Mm. If there was a knowledge of what was to happen and why it was to happen, uh, did the angels just fail? I mean, uh, even Lucifer had sense enough to quote uh, the scriptures and say that even if he dashed his foot against the stone, that they'd be there to lift him up and help him you know, throw yourself down. They'll catch you. I mean, it's very clear. The scriptures are very clear about your role and the uh, the role of angels in your life. Then there's uh, one place in the New Testament that says that had they known. So the one thing that we know that Lucifer and his angels did not know was the plan. Now, the angels that were there for, for uh, uh, Jesus did know the plan. Uh, now, the devil would agree with our aforementioned (laughs) the devil would agree with those who say that it was man who killed uh jesus and there was nothing uh, about it that was supposed to happen that jesus was just a man that this was not supposed to happen was not prophesied to happen i just don't see how in the world they get around all of that but they they say it Kind of like Mickey's letter, just a, a lot of statements with nothing to substantiate those things. The verses that I'm referring to says that had these uh, principalities and powers, these heavenly beings, uh, the the not uh, good ones, had they known what the outcome of the crucifixion was, they would have never crucified the Lord. Uh, so something happened. Yep. Um, as we were looking at this uh, last night, Michael, we had looked at the word charge, and he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. Mm. You know, the point of our study here is to show the involvement and how close that the angels were involved in the plan, as we have said it several times here. And so we looked up that word charge, and uh, it's the word entelomei, and it uh, it comes from the word en. And the word that you might be familiar with, telio, um, telios, which we have 
gone through many times, you know, that it is finished. Yeah. Uh, I think that was tetelestai, which is the root word for that is this telio. And uh, this word means to enjoin. It means to enjoin, to give charge, to command, mm-hmm. uh, to enjoin together. And so the angels were joined to Christ. I mean, they, yeah. were, they were put together as one. Yeah, so the, uh, and the, I think you uh, hopefully are beginning to see why we're looking to see this. We are actually looking at the fact that the angels were enjoined uh, already to Christ. They were a part of him. Uh, the angels in Christ, you just don't see Christ showing up without the angels showing up. And uh, that's going to create a lot of really good research for going into the scriptures that with that truth under our belts, we can go back and see where the angels showed up. And I think we have to reasonably uh, accept that where the angels showed up, Christ was there. Yeah. Uh, Not Jesus, the Christ who was born of a virgin, but the Christ who existed uh, long before that and is manifested in many forms throughout the, uh, the scriptures. So we've got a whole nother world to go into again now, uh, Daniel, and see where the angels showed up because this is this wasn't a new assignment for the angels. Mm-hmm. Uh, these angels were uh, enjoined to uh, uh, the Christ and uh, from before the foundation of the world. Wow, amazing. Um, our next one is in Luke chapter 9 and verse 26. Um, this is where Jesus is telling them that if you um, want to follow him, you have to take up your cross and deny himself, follow him. And then it says in verse 26, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Uh, so he is stating that even within this realm, uh, there is a glory that Jesus is coming into, uh, and, uh, his father has glory and the angels have a glory. Mm. And, uh, this is about the coming together of the glories of different bodies uh, a- angels have a body, uh, and uh, God giveth them the body. Uh, the Jesus, uh, the Christ, has a body, and it, each body has its own glory. But that is the essence of Paul's teaching: is the coming together of these uh, glories, and uh, that the uh, earthly has a glory also. Speaking of man. Because it's in that First Corinthians chapter one that we are told directly that Adam is the earthly. We don't have to figure out what earthly he's talking about. He says that the earthly talks about Adam being the earthly, and so uh, now uh, this incredible teaching about each body having its own glory. But there's something that is afoot here. There's something that is about to happen that the angels know about, uh, Jesus knows about, Lucifer and his angels don't know about, and the Father knows about, and the Father even knows the exact hour that this is going to happen. Wow. 
And I was thinking about that verse in Colossians, that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Christ in you, the hope of the unification of all celestial and terrestrial glories is now one glory. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, Let's see. Moving on to uh, Luke chapter 12 and verse, uh, verse number eight and nine. Also, I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Uh, yeah, and he goes on with uh, whoever says anything uh, against me or against the Holy Ghost or uh, any of these terrestrials, uh, uh, you know, there's uh, this, uh, they'll be held away. <laughs> <laughs> if we read through this, now this, this is Jesus's teaching, and I'll tell you that Paul did teach differently than this. Uh uh, Jesus made it very clear. So uh, Jesus made it clear that if you deny him, he will deny you. Paul understood this process. And uh, he let us know that uh, because of uh, this unbelief, denial is an unbelief, that there's only one way around this. You're either going to hold everyone accountable for their unbelief, or you're going to have mercy on their unbelief. Mm. So Jesus is simply laying out here the power of what was done at the cross. That yes, unbelief and even saying a word against the the father or the the son or the spirit, it's that this is uh irreconcilable. Uh so how do you I read here that this is irreconcilable. If you deny me, I'll deny you. Right. That's irreconcilable. Yep. But if it was reconciled, the only way it could have been reconciled, reconciled, uh, the only way it could have been reconciled is if uh, the unbelief was uh, not uh, charged against them. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, and Paul's teaching does come into play here that uh, uh, in the book of John says they all denied him. They all were in unbelief. And that the moment, as uh, Paul goes on to teach, that the moment that God declared all in uh, denial, all in unbelief, so that he could have mercy. So denial is a prescription for disaster. What did God do through Christ with that prescription of disaster upon denial and unbelief. He took that and he used it to redeem the whole world with his mercy. Wow. Corralled everybody into the unbelief, the denial bit. And he said, now if I can get everybody in one place, uh, I can use my mercy. Now, the issue of mercy uh, can only come into play if the thing that needed mercy uh, evidently had a pretty severe penalty against it. And, you know, Michael, in the context of, of this uh, teaching that Jesus is having here, 
Um, if I keep reading verse 11, now when they bring you into the synagogues and the magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And wow. so again, we see here this thing that keeps getting repeated, the day and the hour. This hour uh, that's coming, yeah. So this isn't talking about, you know, okay, here we are in 2023, uh, about us denying Jesus or blaspheming the Holy Spirit or anything like that. This is talking about a specific time uh, when I think other writers said that when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus yeah. Christ is Lord. And uh, this is where uh, Mickey's understanding uh, really comes in very handy. This was written to a very specific people about a very yeah. specific thing. Mm -hmm. uh, this is done. Yeah. Uh, denial and unbelief can no longer be held against you. Uh, that's what God used to take sin away. All right, Michael, our next one is in Luke chapter 15, and uh, I think I heard this one almost every time my dad gave an altar call. Uh-oh. Uh, this is Luke chapter 15 and verse 10, and after he had gone through the whole thing about praying the prayer and, you know, everyone turn around and, you know, pronounce that Jesus is your Lord to everybody in the church, and he almost always quoted this, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he would turn to everybody and say, now the angels are having a party in heaven this morning yeah, because this one gave that. their life to Jesus. <laughs> yeah, uh, we went through this. You pointed out one little quinkinink about this, that there's a problem with this now after the cross. What was that problem? There are no sinners. <laughs> there's no sinners. <laughs> I just, I'm telling you, I feel so honored, uh, goodness, about knowing that fact. Oh, my gosh. Mm. So, yes, you will find a little difference between what Jesus taught about this. But remember, sin was still in effect before the, the uh, uh, cross. And repenting of sin was all a part of that. Uh, can, you uh, can you imagine what the angels must have done? Uh, when uh, all of this was being made one and mm -hmm. that, that sin was being eradicated and righteousness was installed. So our question then is, uh, if the angels rejoiced over one sinner and now there's no sinners uh, and now Jesus doesn't need their protection, uh, you know, what are these angels doing anyway? We just read it there in uh, Luke chapter two. You know, you had the one angel, and I like that picture you painted. It was on Christmas, I think, and you had this one angel coming in trying to give the message to the shepherds about the yeah. good news, and he, all of a sudden he runs ahead. Yeah, <laughs> and all of a sudden you got the whole host coming in. Uh, it kind of sounds like the party, doesn't it? It really does. These uh, angels, these are party angels. That's yeah. all there is to it. Yeah. <laughs> They like rejoicing. They like uh, getting excited about stuff. They are drama queen. Right? There is no <laughs> doubt about it. Angels are drama queen. They're just, uh, uh, there's no way to say it except that because they do get excited about a lot of things. Their involvement in the life of Jesus, though, uh, was to bring about this culmination of unification. 
mm. uh, superimposition, this alloy that they knew about, uh, Jesus knew about, uh, the devil and his angels did not know about. Uh, they thought this battle was between right and wrong. And uh, it's obvious because they were trying to get him to do wrong. And uh, he let them know, you know, I'm not getting into this with you. You know, just uh, you might as well get behind me. And then, of course, the interesting thing is this, that immediately after that temptation that the angels came to Jesus. Mm-hmm. This relationship between Jesus and the angels is, is really quite a remarkable. I, you know, and while we were thinking about this, I kind of put myself, uh, tried to put myself in the position of an angel that had this close of a camaraderie, close of a oneness with Christ and, and all of that, and then having to stand back and uh, watch him be crucified. Yeah. Wow. Uh, goodness. It's just, uh, it, it, it's over, overwhelming to try to process that thought. Mm. But, uh, but stand aside. And, you know, we even have the, uh, the comment that uh, says that uh, uh, if he, uh, that he could have, uh, call 10,000 angels. I don't think he would have had to call them. Yeah. Uh, the, because they, that's, that was their job, but I suppose he would have had to call them because they had been told that they can't stop this crucifixion. Mm. You can't do it. Even though you are there to, if he almost uh, is about to hit his stub, his toe that you're to stop him from stubbing his toe. Yeah, and now people are uh, uh, ripping his beard out of his face and uh, lashing him, and they can do nothing. Mm. Our next one is in uh, chapter sixteen, and before I read that one, I want to just point out this is the story of the rich man and Lazarus, uh, which is a parable. Uh, it and it is a parable that has been, oh my God, so oh, yeah. badly misused. Um, and I don't think our intention is to get into the whole parable, but to make comments about what this verse says about the angels' involvement, and that's in verse twenty-two. Okay. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Um, you know, Michael, one of the things that pops out to me right away is that the angels didn't bring the beggar to heaven. Yeah. And the rich man, uh, contrary to popular belief, did not go to hell. <laughs> yeah. He went to the grave, Hades. Uh, he yes. was buried. Yeah, because that's what that word, even though the word hell is brought up in 23, uh, it, it says he was buried, number one. And being there, from being buried because that word hell also means the grave. Yeah. 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 This is amazing. So this, uh, transportation, if you will, that they were providing, (laughs) (laughs) you think you drive a bus, man, I'm telling you what, uh, (laughs) I remember gosh, uh, 40 years ago, all these jokes. Of course we were all, you know, 
pretty young kids and we came up with all these jokes talked about where god drove adam and eve out of the garden and then the statement they were all in one accord and it's like <laughs> uh, so he uh, he got adam and eve all in one honda accord and drove them out of the garden <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I guess I guess bus driving is a very spiritual thing to do. Dave. Hallelujah! <laughs> so, uh, but these angels did carry them into what is called the bosom of Abraham, and uh, but not as you pointed out, not into heaven. Uh, again, to say without going into this parable, because we've done it many times before, uh, that the angels were very much present and very much part of this. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you want more on this, um, check out the series that I did on hell. And I did one where I've talked about, um, and Michael actually was the one who pointed it out about the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They went out of their way to make sure that they were all buried in the same place, uh, which is uh, very interesting into the whole story about um, uh, a communal grave, a Hades, um, a communal grave. We got two more, Michael. Let's do them. Um, chapter 20 and verse 36. Uh, we kind of This is kind of one of the verses that kicked us off uh, in our curiosity about all of this. Uh, this is when Jesus was asked about, hey, what happens if you marry two people mm-hmm. uh, during the resurrection? Which one's your wife? <laughs> uh, yeah. And Jesus answered in verse 34, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are the sons of God, being mm. the sons of the resurrection. Wow. Well, there's too much there to unpack, and I think the best thing is to leave it packed because what Jesus has done is packed the human race, angels, and himself all into one mm. creature. Wow. All into one being. And uh, uh, I don't want to unpack that. Uh, we can leave it just as it is. Equality. So neither uh, uh, with equality, neither can they die anymore. Now that's called e- eternal life. mm for they are equal unto the angels. So uh, uh, what does equality mean? That's what we've gone through in great detail about what does it mean to be equal with God. The, the, and we found out that the term equal uh, always uh, means to be, uh, to be one. Uh, if you're equal, you are one. In um, Philippians, it is spoken of about Jesus that when he came here and found the Christ, found himself in the form of a man, he did not count equality with God something that he had to grasp for or being one with God, uh, something he had to grasp for. Uh, And now we have the good news of telling you that being equal uh, you and God and us being equal is not something you have to grasp for. Mm. What did Jesus do when he found himself in that position? It says that he became, once he realized he didn't have to, which I'm sure he came here with that realization of uh, of the oneness and the equality, 
it says he made himself servant to all. Wow. So uh, you want a calling? You got one. Uh, just uh, go around seeing who you can serve, see what you can do to help others. Mm. And uh, that's uh, that's what we're designed for. Too many people are out there trying to uh, live the life of the king. Uh, Kenneth Copeland's convinced that God wants him to be the first billionaire preacher. Uh, so he's determined to be like God in the uh, wealthy side. Jesus determined that being uh, uh, in the very image and the very form of God, that uh, he decided to become a servant of all. Oh, wow. <laughs> Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. There you go. Mr. Copeland. <laughs> all right. So we started with the... Uh, announcement of the birth of Christ. And our last one, Michael, leads us to right after the resurrection of Christ. And this is in Luke 24 and verse 23. And when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. I, I tell you, the thing that is noticeable to me here is the excessive and persistent involvement of the angels up until they came to take Jesus away. And you don't see any in vain. Uh, look at the jump we've made. We've skipped the entire crucifixion yeah. when it comes to the involvement of angels. Oh, this is interesting, Michael. Go ahead. Um, so I went to look back because that was someone retelling the story of, of the women going to the grave. Uh, so I wanted to back up and see what actually happened. This is interesting. Uh, 24 verse 4, uh, verse 3. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining mm. garments. Then as they were afraid, they bowed their heads and faces to the earth, and they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. It's interesting that when they retell the story, they saw angels, but when the, they were there, they actually saw men. Wow. This is after the resurrection. Mm -hmm. So uh, it seems like the, uh, the uh, indistinguishable quality is here. You can't tell the difference between an angel and a human. Mm. Interesting. And that's all I got to say about that. And so it is. We must leave you, family and friends. If you'd like to know anything about the gospel revolution, then call our office on 832-318-9339. And speak to us about how you want to participate. Or go to www.gospelrevolution.com and hit the connect link. You can find us on your favorite social media network, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Please be sure to hit that subscribe, share, and like button on whatever platform you are listening. Now it's good night from Daniel Rouse in the frozen tundra. And it's good night from Michael Williams right here in the, I finally looked it up and found out, the Queen City. Mm. Clarksville, the Queen City. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess the queen has arrived in <laughs> Clarksville. I, I'm, I went ahead and said what I knew you wanted to say. <laughs>
I was trying to be diplomatic and form my words in my mind. Uh-huh. There's no there's no way to say it other than that. <laughs> we love you guys. Thank you so much for uh uh these studies uh to me uh they are wonderful. These are things you've never heard from us or from anybody else. I mean, who else has gone through a research to uh, really uh, expose and to ferret out the uh, issue of angels and Christ. And then what uh, the conclusion of all this is, is we're going to know the issue of angels and mankind. Mm. Uh, this last verse here, uh, the telling of this story was it was either two men or two angels. And uh, maybe that's the whole thing. You can't really tell the difference anymore. We sure hope that you enjoyed today's PowerCast. And remember, the Queen will be here to do the same thing all over again <laughs> next week. Only. More Queen. <laughs> Since you're knocking on the door, you're begging to come in, yeah. On a weathered off the wild, love's been knocking from within. You are the love you see. A perfect that you need Right Yeah, yeah, yeah Even if you're all set alone Staring at me Good to know that it's worth me to come Guys, right We are gotta be nothing to complete it's not a thing that you need y'all the love just remember to breathe and take a second off look i'm just trying to remind you that you're perfectly Deconstructing religion and barbecuing the sacred cows of Christianity before your very eyes. You are listening to Gospel Revolution.